How many of you have been waiting for more than a month for something you've been hoping to see? Been waiting more than a month. Oh, come on. How many have been waiting more than a year? More than five years. You've been waiting more than five years for something. More than ten years. Yeah, see, this is not all that unusual, is it? This is a very common experience. Yeah. We pray for our grown kids and grandkids to return to the love of the Lord they had as children. We pray for our country to turn around. I've been praying for revival in our country for over 30 years. And, and we pray for other things. We wait for other things as well. I, I remember reading a book as a young Christian, well, not so young, maybe five, six years old in the Lord, and I, the book was called, Why Is It Taking Me So Long to Get Better? Well, yeah, yeah I, let's get on. I, I was frustrated at my slow pace of spiritual and character growth. You know? I've talked with some of you who are impatient with the slow process Pastor Brian's taking us through. You just want to get on with it. Let's get a new pastor. Yeah. And was there ever a woman who wasn't ready to deliver before her due date? Yeah. Oh, man. We all experience waiting for God in one way or another. But my question this morning is, how are you doing with that waiting? You okay with that? You comfortable? Satisfied? Patient? Content? Or like most Americans, do you want what you want now? We are conditioned in this country to be impatient. We microwave our meals. Every problem, no matter how complex, gets solved in less than an hour on television. Movies have a little longer to solve it. They get up to two hours to solve it. You know, world cataclysm, we're going to solve it in two hours. See? Oh, my gosh. Nobody should have to wait more than a couple of days for something they want, should they? But we do. We do have to wait, and we don't like it one bit. I realized this past spring that I didn't like waiting for the Lord. So I did what I typically do. I did a study of waiting in Scripture. I discovered one of the main themes is that we are to wait in hope. But see, there's the rub for me. I'm waiting because I have to, but I don't like it. So I wind up waiting in frustration or disappointment with God or resentment that I have to wait so long. And all of that leads to bad things. It can lead either to a feeling of resignation where you're just sort of tempted to give up, or it can lead to a critical spirit towards God. And those are not good attitudes to have. So this morning I want to think with you a little bit about what we can learn about waiting with a good attitude. And um, we'll start with our scripture for today. And I'll ask you to read this with me if you, if you can read it. Let's read this together. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Lord, that's our prayer, that you'd help us to wait in hope in the context of your unfailing love. Thank you. So a couple of general themes I found as I studied this. The first one is, as I say, wait in hope. Famous favorite verse of mine, Psalm 5.3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. It's the idea behind Psalm 130, verse 6, where it says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Well, if you're the watchman walking around the top of the city wall all night long, the night is really long. 
Oh my gosh, when it, you're longing to see morning come. But you are waiting knowing that morning will come. Right? No matter how long the night come, seems, you know morning will come. And so that's our attitude as we pray. We lay our request before God and wait with that same kind of confident expectation. Now another key thought in this has to do with God's timing. God's timing is always perfect. Our patience is not. You think of the descendants of Abraham waiting 400 years as slaves in Egypt for God to fulfill his promise to give them a land of their own. Or once they got into Canaan and the prophets began to talk about the coming Messiah who would make all things right. Well, they had to wait a long time for that. Paul has the audacity to claim in Galatians 4 that the timing of the Messiah was just right. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. They had to wait about a thousand years after Solomon took the throne and began to screw things up before the Messiah finally came. But Paul says God was waiting for the right time. One obvious reason this is so hard for us is because time is different for us than it is for God. As Peter reminds us, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That's his promise to return. As some understand slowness, he's being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Does it sometimes seem to you like God is slow in keeping his promises? Certainly does to me, but I'm convinced that's only because time is different for him than for us. I need to learn to wait for his timing. I mean, the very word wait implies that his schedule is different from mine, right? <laughs> because I, in my schedule, I don't have to wait. <laughs> I just want it right now. <laughs> God was not slow. He wasn't slow in delivering his people from Egypt. He wasn't slow in sending the Messiah. He's not slow in his return to earth. And he's not slow in fulfilling our longings. His timing is perfect. The problem is we don't know everything that God knows, If we did, we would see that his timing is just right. Third important thing to keep in mind is that our sin doesn't disqualify us from his blessing. Sometimes it's the long wait that causes us, that that tempts us to sort of give up, give up hope. Other times we may conclude our sin disqualifies us. I've, I've fallen so far that I don't, I can't ask God for anything good in my life. But that's not the case. In the time of Ezra the priest, some of the Jews who had been exiled to Babylon were given the privilege to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and reestablish their religion and their homeland. And this was a great thing. But as they got settled in the process of doing that, they discovered that some of the men had married wives from the ethnic groups around them who were not believers in Yahweh, and this was forbidden by the law of Moses. It really upset them, really distressed them. But as they were considering what to do about it, one of the men said to Ezra, We've been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. In spite of our sin, in spite of our unfaithfulness to God, there's still hope. There's always hope. Because God is a forgiving God, full of compassion for his children. When, when, <laughs> when we repent and cry out to him for his mercy, he gladly gives that. He loves to forgive. He won't hold our sins against us. He doesn't say, as we are sometimes tempted to say with our kids, okay, you have been so bad, you're going to have to be good for, name a period, a week, a month, a year, before I do anything good for you. No, that's that's not how he treats us. In spite of our sin, there is hope. 
So the point is, don't give up hope, no matter how far you have fallen. I found two strong foundations for our hope in God, two strong reasons why it makes sense to to keep hoping and waiting. One is the very nature or character of God, and you would find this in lots of places in Scripture, but Psalm 146 is is a really good one. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And then he gives seven reasons why it makes sense, seven character traits of God, why we should put our hope in him. First, he's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Well, you could, you could draw a lot of points out of that, but one is God has the power to do whatever we need. He has incredible power. If he can, poof, let the world be out of nothing, then he certainly has the power to do what we're asking of him. Two, he's the Lord who remains faithful forever. It's just not in his nature to abandon his children or to make promises and not keep them. The hymn we sang earlier, Great is Thy Faithfulness, was a theme song for this church for many years. We sang it a lot because we kept seeing evidences of God's faithfulness to us. My friends, I have good news. God hasn't changed. He's still faithful. We can still trust him and put our hope in him. Three, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. In seminary, I read a book on Old Testament theology, which I thought was going to be really dry. The name of the book was The God Who Acts. And the point of the author was quite good. It was that the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, acts on behalf of his people unlike the gods and idols of all the nations around them. Our God does stuff. He does stuff that nobody else can do. Hallelujah. Four, the Lord loves the righteous. Well, for that matter, the Lord loves the unrighteous too. He loves everybody. He is love. It's the core of his nature. Of course we can trust him to do right by us because he loves us. He wants the best for us. And if we ever forget that, just look at the cross. You probably have a cross in your home somewhere. If you don't, Google Images has crosses. Find a cross and just meditate on that. I mean, there is no greater love than this, that a man would voluntarily lay down his life for his friends. Can we trust a God who loves us like that? Can we continue to hope in him? Number five, the Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. He's full of compassion for the oppressed, the weak, the people who need his help. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. He protects his children from their enemies. And seven, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. God is sovereign. He's in control of all human history, from international relationships to the details of our lives. So I ask, does it make sense to put our hope in a God like that? Well, of course it does, and that's why the psalmist says, blessed is he who puts his hope in the Lord his God. And that's not all God is, of course, those seven traits. I found something over 300 attributes of God, and I put them on a list which is on the church website. If you look under resources and the the, uh, page where the sermons are listed, you'll find that. You can download it, print it off, just use it to soak in for yourself. Attributes of God. Second foundation for our hope is God's word, his character and his word. Psalm 119.81, my soul faints 
with longing for your salvation. But I've put my hope in your word. You know, I just so much appreciate the honesty of the biblical writers because they don't gloss over problems. There's none of this Pollyanna pretending that everything's fine when it isn't. This man acknowledges that it's not well with him. My soul faints waiting for God to save me. I'm about at the end of my rope here. But he doesn't give up because he puts his hope in God's word. Another song, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. These writers take God at his word. We should be like that. We should be like the man who came to Jesus one day, walked a a day's journey to get to Jesus because his son was dying. He gets to Jesus, he says to him, please, sir, come down before my son dies. Come down and save my son. And Jesus says, you can go, your son will live. Now, if I had been that dad, and I had walked a day to get to Jesus, who I thought could help my son, I'm not going to take that. I'm just going to grab his coat and say, you're coming with me. You know, come. <laughs> You've got to come down. My son's going to die if you don't come. But this man doesn't. The scripture says, he took Jesus at his word and left. Man, that's powerful. <laughs> and on his way, his household servants came and met him halfway and said, hey, your son's doing great. Really? When did he get, when, did, when was the turnaround? At the very hour that Jesus said, your son will live. Give us the grace, Lord, to take you at your word. So I keep trying to find verses that support what I'm asking for, to give me some reason to believe that, that my request falls in the broad parameters of God's will. For example, in the early days of our troubles last year, I was praying, Lord, rescue Faith Church. Save us, deliver us, because we are in the process of devouring ourselves. And then as time went on and we got some resolution to things, I began to pray, Lord, restore Faith Church. Restore us to to the strength and health and spiritual vitality that we had before so that we could again be useful in your hands. But as time has gone on, my prayer has evolved again. And now I pray, Lord, renew and revive Faith Church. We don't want to be what we were. We want to be better than that. We want to be more than that. We want to be what you want us to be for your kingdom. Some of you will remember the last time I preached. My subject was more. I want a lot more from God for myself and for our church. And I want us to be a lot more for him. I want things like more of the Holy Spirit. I want more signs and wonders, more love for other people, especially people who are not like me or people who disagree with me. I want more faith to take, God, take Jesus at his word. I want, want to see more new, more new believers in our church and more people sent from this church into the harvest fields of the world. So that's a picture of revival, right? And the psalm says, in your word I put my hope. So I, I take heart from the fact that God's word tells me he is loving and faithful and all-powerful and all-wise, and he acts on behalf of his children. Yes, Lord. And then I found a few verses that seemed to support this specific request of mine. Psalm 85, 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? This, this psalmist is praying, the, my, that's my prayer. Yes, Lord, do that. Okay, so if the psalmist can pray that, I can pray that, right? And Habakkuk, in the dark days leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. 
in our time make them known. In wrath, which we surely deserve, remember mercy. Yeah. The prophet's thinking of times in Israel's history when, when God showed up in a powerful way. Maybe he's thinking about the exodus from Egypt or the conquest of Canaan or even during the time of the kings, there were spiritual revivals when godly kings pointed the nation back to God. And he, he's thinking about those times. He says, Lord, do that again for us. And, and I, yeah, <laughs> I'm chiming in. Me too, right? That's what I want to see. I, I read the history of revivals in America and I say, God, do that again. Do that again. Now, you, you have to be careful with this approach. It's easy to take a verse out of its context and use it in a way that the writer and God never intended. But the truth remains that God keeps his word. As Hebrews 6 says, it's impossible for God to lie. So when we put our hope in God, we're basing it on the character of God and the word of God. Two solid foundations. The Bible also gives us some guidance on how we are to wait in hope. How are we supposed to act or think or feel while we're waiting? Well, one point is wait patiently. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Did you ever say that to your kids? Just be patient? A <laughs> hundred times, right? <laughs> mommy, 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 mommy. Just be patient. So it's okay if our Heavenly Father says that to us. Just be patient. Wait patiently for him. Okay? Lamentations 3. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. In Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child within me is my soul. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This was convicting for me because I don't always do this. I am to wait for the Lord quietly and patiently, but all too often I am waiting for the Lord fretting, frustrated, disappointed. So I've been asking the Lord to forgive me for those times when when I've been frustrated and angry with him for not doing what I thought he should, when I thought he should, which is usually right now. I've had to acknowledge that my heart has been proud. Yeah. To think that I know better than God what should be done and when. Friends, these are what the psalm calls great matters, things too wonderful for me. What we used to call in the Air Force above my pay grade. I'm not authorized to make these decisions. Humility is required to be patient. I need to humble myself before the vastly superior wisdom of the Lord because his thoughts and his ways are far above mine. Second thing we need to do as we wait is to obey. Isaiah 26, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Well, it's really important to continue to obey, to walk in his ways while we wait because there's tremendous danger if we fall off the edge. Obedience is good for us because God's ways are good for us because God loves us. It all goes back to God's nature, to his love for us. So here's a temptation that I've felt, and I don't know if you have ever felt this. I, I, don't, think I've, I don't think I've fallen into it, um, but I've certainly felt this. It's a temptation when I don't see what I hope for right away to give up, to conclude that it doesn't matter how I live, 
and just run off into all kinds of sin as an act of rebellion against the God who's not coming through for us. The attitude is sort of, well, if he's not going to answer my prayer, then why should I do what he wants? As, as though somehow that's going to hurt him in some way or, or make him respond the way we want. We need to continue to obey as best we can, even when there's no immediate reward. Why should God reward us for our disobedience? Now, our obedience doesn't obligate God to do what we're asking for. It it doesn't earn or deserve his favor. It's just the right thing to do because we love him and because it's good for us. But we need to remember to keep that. Walk the path, walking in your ways. And the Bible tells us to coach ourselves and coach others to wait for God. I, I love the refrain in Psalms 42 and 43. They go together, and there's a refrain that comes up three times. It says, the, the writer's talking to himself, and it, in these psalms he acknowledges things are not good. He's, he's in trouble. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So he knows what he ought to be doing. He knows he's not doing it, so he talks to himself. He coaches him. Look, Jim, get your act together, fella. You know, focus, the Lord, focus on the Lord. He's still your Savior. He's your God. You need to continue to praise Him and get, stop getting off into these emotional weeds that you're in. See? That kind of coaching. Yeah. And, of course, we need other people to come alongside us and, and coach us like that when we don't have the wherewithal to do it for ourselves. And we need to coach others when their strength begins to sag. Because this is hard. A fourth way to wait is to be strong while we wait. Sometimes the Bible says or implies that God will renew our strength. This famous verse from Psalm Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. You've probably all memorized that verse. Yeah. Some translations say hope in the Lord. Some say wait on the Lord, and that's exactly the the combination of things that we're trying to to sort out here. How do do we wait in hope on the Lord when he seems to take so long? Well, when we first start waiting, oh, the wings are out, the the updraft is going, we're just soaring, this is great. But if you have to keep waiting for very long, then, well, okay, I'm running, I'm, I'm running, I'm jogging. And if you have to keep waiting, it's one foot in front of the other. Yeah. But as long as we continue to hope in or wait on him and not give up, he will continue to renew our strength. Another passage says we're supposed to strengthen ourselves. Psalm 27, 14, another psalm where the the writer is in trouble. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. That's God's instruction to us. That's, That's his command. Be strong as you wait. Take heart as you wait. Keep holding that barbell over your head. Did anybody see the movie Unbroken? Some of you did. It's a movie about an an American Olympic athlete and army officer, Louis Zamperini. And uh, he was in a bomber flying in the Pacific. He got shot down, was imprisoned in Japanese prisoner war camps. And at one point in the movie, the commandant of the camp orders Louis to hold this huge beam over his head for a long time as punishment. So he does. And the time is up, and he keeps holding it. And he keeps holding it. And he keeps holding it until the commandant asks him nicely to put it down. 
Friends, that's the kind of strength of character it takes to wait in hope for the Lord to act. It's the endurance, it's the spiritual stamina, it's the determination that says, I will not give up. As I reflected on this, I realized this is a spiritual battle that I need to get up for. I am tempted to let my frustration, my discouragement, God's timing, his apparent absence, his denials of my requests, I'm tempted to let all that erode my confidence and hope in him. I need to fight back. I need to fight back in the strength that he will surely give me to continue to believe, to hope, to trust, to pray, to obey. Lord, make me strong. Don't let me succumb to that weakness. Give me the strength to keep hoping, keep waiting, keep praying, keep walking, even when I don't understand what's taking so long. Especially in those times when God seems to be absent. Isaiah 8.17 is a remarkable statement from this prophet. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Wow. Yeah, sometimes we can't see God's face. We don't see any evidence of him. That's how it felt to the prophet in the dark days leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. During that same time period in Israel's history, Habakkuk wrote these classic words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Even then, especially then, in those times of apparent abandonment and silence and forsakenness, that's when it's especially important that we continue to lay hold of him, strengthen in our faith. John Piper says that God is never more honored than when a person who can see no sign of God's activity or presence in their lives continues to trust in him. That is honoring to God. And that's what trust is, right? Walking obediently, in the dark. Yeah. That honors God because it says we believe He is fundamentally good. Someday I'll preach a sermon on God is good. Yeah. So here's a way for us all to, to apply this message. I, I'm pretty sure that if we were honest, all of us would say there are some things that we are waiting for, longing for, have been for a long time, and don't see them yet. Yeah. Well, if there is something specific like that that you need to be waiting in hope for, I need to turn to somebody near you and just ask them. Tell them, here it is, just a sentence or two. This is what I'm waiting for. Pray for me. And then pray for that person. Okay? There's no pressure to do this. Maybe you don't know the person sitting next to you. You feel uncomfortable doing it. But look, this is a way we can coach one another to wait in hope for the Lord. So ask somebody to pray for you. We'll just take a minute or two. Father, thanks for the reminder that you are good. You are faithful. You are compassionate. You are able. And so we pray for the grace to continue to trust and hope in you. In Christ's name, amen.